a good morning. It's always good to be with you this past Wednesday night. A number of us gathered together here at the building for just a few minutes. We got some song packets together, and then we went to two of the elder care nursing homes that are within a mile of this building, and we, we sang to people. And, and I, don't, I don't normally sing to people outside of singing with people at church or possibly if I'm all by myself at home or in the car uh, and, and I know that nobody can really hear me, I'll, I'll go ahead and belt it out. But, but outside of those conditions, I just don't normally think, you know, this seems like a good place to start singing, especially directly to another person. And so as we gathered together in the lobby of our, our nursing home that we were going to sing at, and it was taking some, some time for, for some of those folks to come out and gather together to listen to us, I, I'm not only waiting, but I know that I'm about to sing in public. And so those moments were not, those were not my, my favorite seconds as they ticked by because I started looking through the packets and I realized I didn't really know all these songs as well as I thought I had when, you know, I, I hadn't really been standing in the moment of having to get ready to, to almost, I wouldn't quite go as far as to say we performed, uh, but it, it felt like it was going to be some kind of performance. Uh, and, and yet when, when the, the folks finally gathered together there and we started to sing together as a group, my nerves and anxiety went away because Christmas is one of those times when, when people sing to each other, right? That one of the, the rare times that, that we sing to one another. And, and it's a good thing because there's, there's something vulnerable about the act of singing, Right? It's why I tend to only sing when I'm by myself or when I'm with a group of people and my voice can blend in to the voices of, of other better singers. And yet, even though singing is this vulnerable act, it's, it's so important when we're sharing life together, especially when we're gathering together at this time of the year and, and our hearts are filled with the expectation of the Christmas story and, and Jesus' birth and what all that means for us, we want to open ourselves up, right? We want to choose to be vulnerable in that moment. Uh, and so as we started to sing, I, I realized that the power of that experience, not only for those of us who were singing, but obviously for the people that, that we had come to sing for. And it was clear in watching their faces that that it was this act of singing that was connecting with them far better than some kind of speech would. Right? That, that if we had shown up and, and I had started to talk to them about this time of the year and what it means and what they should be feeling, that while they might very well follow the logic of what I was saying, those words probably would have limited effect in taking them anywhere in their hearts and minds, especially back to the places that those Christmas songs have the power to take people. There was one gentleman who was closest to me, and I got a chance to talk to him right after we were done singing, and, and he wanted a packet while we were singing, and, and he, he really wasn't singing all that much himself, but he was, he was mouthing the words silently, and when I got to visit with him afterwards, all he really said to me was, man, those songs take me back. And he didn't really fill in the blank. He, he didn't tell me all the places that those songs were, were able to take him. He didn't share the memories that, that he was reliving. And I think part of it was they were, they were that personal to him. 
they were, they were taking him back to, to times and places with friends and family that, that he didn't even know how to tell me about. That's the power that, that singing can have. And, and we don't really experience it all that much, especially outside of church, because, I mean, unless you're watching a musical, when we're trying to communicate to somebody else, we don't sing at them. We talk to them. And yet all of us have times in our lives where we realize the limited effects of, of just simply speaking. That's why when we have transition moments in our lives, big transition moments, even in our culture that, that doesn't tend to sing much, we sing. Weddings, funerals, birthdays, anniversaries, retirements, right? All of these kinds of experiences at one time or another, I know that you've been in those rooms and you find yourself being caught up in a moment where somebody decides, we can't just talk about this moment, we need to sing about it. And it's not just big transition moments in lives, it's, it's sometimes those smaller, quieter moments too. But if you've ever been by yourself and you're, you're struggling to, to quiet, to calm down an anxious child, my guess is you've tried to sing a lullaby or two. If you're anything like me, you get a couple of bars into that lullaby and you think, man, I, I need to work on my singing voice. right? Or, or maybe you, you have found yourself in, in a more serious moment. Sitting next to a hospital bed of somebody you care about, somebody you love. And you've said all the things you know to say, but then you remember that they have a favorite hymn. And so you sing that song over them. And maybe, even if they haven't talked in a long time, they join you in that song. Or, or stepping away from the seriousness of, of that kind of life experience. We, we've all had times, and maybe this is one of your favorite memories, maybe it's not so much a favorite memory, but we've all been stuck in the car for far too long with people we know far too well on road trips. And you've, you've done every game you know to do, and you've, you've played every type of, you know, electronic that you have in the car and you get to the place where your kids are bored and you're bored and and so somebody has the genius idea let's sing together right and sometimes even though well not sometimes but all the time those songs go on too long at some point in in the moments that that they begin you feel this connection to the other people that that you don't feel when you're separate by yourself even in a car even for hours you can sing a song together and it, it brings this connection from a place that maybe you've forgotten. Whether the moment's big or it's small, whether you're feeling happy or sad, whether it's just you or one other person or maybe a, a small crowd has gathered around, there are specific times in life when all of us come to the place where we know that in order for, for, for us to, to relate to one another the way we want to, we need to sing because music reaches our hearts in ways that nothing else can. Last week we started this new message series for December that we're calling Anthems, the original Christmas playlist. And, and what we're doing is looking at the various songs that people were, were singing, people who we get the sense didn't just go around singing, but, but they were in these stories because of not just the news of Jesus' birth, but all the things that were happening because of Jesus' birth. Last Sunday, we listened to the lyrics of, of Mary's song. 
You know, Mary, the, the young woman, biblical scholars think that she was probably a teenager, who the angel Gabriel comes to and speaks to her about this, this call, this, this invitation to be a part of what God is getting ready to do through his son. And she, she doesn't just want to talk about that. It's too big of a moment to just simply try to explain. You know, you, you can't just make uh, an experience that you're having more meaningful or deeper because you say the words meaningful and deep. You, you've got to find a way to express it. And so she breaks into song. And, and there's, a, there's a popular song on the radio these days called Mary Did You Know? I'm guessing you've heard it before. They ask all these questions of, did she have an idea of just how amazing her son was going to be? And and if Luke was around, he would call into the radio station and say, yes, she knew. She knew. She had some idea, as young as she was, that her son, because Gabriel said it was God's son, really was going to change everything. That he really was going to grow up and save her and every, everyone else in her life from all the ways that this broken world of ours is completely upside down. And she believed that somehow, and she didn't know all the ways he was going to be able to do it, but she could imagine all the ways she needed for him to fix all the things and all the people that have been lost and broken throughout the ages. She believed through and through that her son was going to grow up and be exactly who God said he was going to be. And she had to share that with people. She had to share that with anybody who would listen. She sang this song with hope filling her heart. She sang with a faith, believing in things that I think if we're honest, we struggle to always believe every single day. Things that feel impossible. But see, Mary understood that when we say yes to God, nothing's impossible. Nothing. And so all these years later, we listen and we're moved by Mary's song. But in Luke, Mary is not the only person who's singing all of the sudden. Just a few verses later in Luke chapter 1... There's this older man named Zechariah who starts singing a song of his own. I want to give you a little bit of of background so that we're all kind of on the same page together when we talk about Zechariah. We know that he's, he's a lot older than Mary. He's got a lot more life experience, a lot more time for him to have seen the way the world works to see all of the ways that the world is broken. He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth happens to be a part of Mary's family. And Zachariah and Elizabeth have always wanted, it's, it's not just that he's seen the brokenness in the world, but they have experienced brokenness in their, in their family life because they have always wanted to have a child of their own. Like so many of the stories in Scripture, they've wanted something that they've, They've given up hoping for because it's just taken too long to come true. But you don't get over something like that, that that kind of heartbreak or that kind of disappointment just because you decide that you're you're done thinking about it and hoping for it to happen. You, You still carry that heartbreak and that disappointment with you. And sure, over the years, that sharp pain might fade into some kind of a of a dull ache, but it's not gone. As much as you want it to be, it's not, 
it's not gone. And so Zechariah, he's serving as a priest in the temple. He's serving as a leader of God's people, and yet he's given up hope that his life is going to become the kind of life that, that he's always wanted it to be. He's, he's wrestling with his faith. He's wrestling with his trust that God can truly do the impossible. But this one day, he's in the temple serving as a priest, and the angel Gabriel shows up. And when Gabriel shows up, he's always got something life-changing to say. So he starts to speak to Zechariah, and he tells him, well, if he was speaking to Zechariah today, he would tell him something like this. Hey, Zechariah, I know you've got this extra room in your house that years ago you turned into a home office, and you've got that treadmill in there that you never use. You need to get that, that room cleaned out and put the crib back where it belongs because pretty soon your, your wife's going to be expecting. And Zechariah said, "What? wait a minute. Look, I, I understand that, you know, God can do anything, but I don't know about this. I don't know. I, I don't know if God can do this. And, and maybe it's not so much that Zechariah is, is questioning God's power. Maybe he's questioning God's willingness to use that power in his life to, to do this thing that he's always wanted, but it's never happened. And, and here's what we learn time and again in stories like this in Scripture and, and I think we need to see it because if we don't, we're not going to understand what's at risk when we're disappointed and when we're discouraged. There's this thing that happens when you're tempted to give up hope. That if you give up hope long enough and strong enough, if you work at trying to push it to the edges of who you are, it can be hard to learn how to hope again. It, it can be hard to come back from that. And so even though this angel's speaking something that's, that's at the core of who Zechariah has always been, he just can't bring himself to believe it. The angel goes on to say, look, you, you're going to have a son, I promise you. I don't know if you know this, but I serve, I serve in the presence of God, and I'm telling you this is going to happen. You need to name him John, and you need to believe this is going to happen, and, and Zechariah just can't, he can't get there, and it makes... Gabriel so angry, so frustrated that he says, you know what, if you can't bring yourself to trust, then you don't get to talk. You're, you're a leader of God's people, and if you can't model for these people trust, then you're not, you're not going to get to talk. And that's exactly what happens. From that moment forward, Zechariah can't speak. Now that had to be stressful for him to come home from from serving at the temple, and he gets to Elizabeth, and he's supposed to tell her a really important thing, and he can't speak. So I don't know what kind of combination of broken sign language that they'd never had to use before, or, or scribbling notes, uh, but I, you know, but if, if you're a, a woman who's well beyond the age in your life of thinking you're going to have a child, your husband goes to church one day, he comes back, he can't talk, and he starts scribbling about you expecting, I'm thinking you're calling the doctor. A couple of a couple of months, it turns out that that's exactly what happens, and yet Zachariah still can't talk. In fact, he's not able to talk the entire time through her pregnancy. Now, before 
those women in the audience who might think that that would have been a better alternative than your husband's somewhat helpful comments at times through your, your pregnancy, you have to think about how alone that had to make Elizabeth and Zachariah feel. Right? They're, they're not able to share in this the way that, that you'd want to be able to share in this. And he doesn't even get to start speaking the day that John is finally born. Right? This, this little baby who the, the angel Gabriel was saying, you know, you're going to have him. And, and it's not just that he's going he's gonna to be a miracle, but he's going to work a miracle in, in the life of Israel. He's going to be this powerful prophetic voice calling people back to their hope in the Messiah. See, because Zechariah is a stand-in for Israel. They've all given up hope. None of them can quite bring themselves to believe that everything's possible with God. Maybe they can believe that for you, but they can't believe that for themselves. And because of that, they, the, the voice that they've had in the life of the world has been silenced. They, they don't have a testimony. They don't have a witness. John's born. Zechariah still can't speak. But eight days pass, and now it's the, the special day when... He's going to, along with Elizabeth, he's, he's going to bring this miracle baby to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And there's this really interesting moment where, because he can't speak, everyone's asking, what are you going to name him? What are you going to name him? And Elizabeth says, well, we're going to name him John. And, and the father's in that culture, they got to name the children, and so they're not sure. And they say, well, you, Elizabeth, I, you, nobody in your family's named John. Zechariah gets this, this tablet he can write on, and he writes on it. His name is John. And when he speaks the words to his family and his friends that the angel Gabriel spoke to him when he couldn't bring himself to believe it, when he speaks those same words, he's healed. When he learns to trust, he can talk. But here's what's interesting. He doesn't talk. He sings. And my guess is that he started out barely above a whisper, but with each passing phrase, his voice gets stronger. Now, Zechariah's song, it, it happens in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68. Well, but just like last week, I want us to experience the lyrics of that song. And so, Brother Andy is, is going to come up and speak the words of this song over us. And I want you to listen to the faith and the hope and the trust that Zechariah shares with us this morning. Bless the Lord God of Israel. Because he has come to help and has delivered his people. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in his servant David's house. Just as he said through the, servant, through the mouths of his holy prophets long ago. He has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors. And remembered his holy covenant. The solemn pledge he made to our ancestor Abraham. He has granted that we would be rescued from the power of our enemies so that we could serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in God's eyes as long as we live. You, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, 
the Lord, you, you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of sins. Because of our God's deep compassion, the dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us on the path of peace. Will you thank Andy for singing that song? Now, I, I have a feeling that John had this song sung over him more than just this one time at the temple. You know, if, if, if you have, as a parent, the opportunity night after night to, to help put your child to sleep, you get to where there's certain things you do over and over again to help bring about that time of rest. And again, Lauren and I, I, I would say both of us have sung in our lifetimes. We would never call ourselves singers. And yet each one of us have different songs that we would sing over the girls. And I have to believe that, that Zachariah sang this song again over John because he didn't want to just sing it to the people of the temple that day did you listen after he kind of talks about God's presence among the people? About halfway through the song, he says, you child. And he starts to, to sing these promises. They're life-altering promises, world-changing dreams that, that this, this older man has for his, his eight-day-old son. And, and I have to believe that, that all of them understood together that this wasn't just a song that you sing once and you forget it, but it was a song that Zechariah was hoping his son was going to grow up and not just know by heart, but he was going to live it out. He, he was going to make these things that Zechariah hoped come true. And as we read the Gospel of Luke, we find that that's exactly what happens, that, that little John really and truly does grow up. And to someone who, who sings Zachariah's anthem with his life. That with God's help, John really will eventually make every hope-filled word of, of Zachariah's song happen. And I want us to look at those words again real quickly. So if you've got your Bible, but we can look up here together as well. And this is that second half of the song. And I want you to look at the, the specific words that that this father sings over his boy. You child will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You'll tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's deep compassion. The dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us on the path of peace. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of faith you, you have or you don't have. Everybody who's in the dark wants to be in the light. And everybody wants to believe that, that one day this world of ours will find a path to peace. Everybody holds these hopes in their hearts. Everybody wants these words to be true. 
And I am convinced that the reason Luke holds on to this song is not just because it was some moving moment between a father and a son and the family and the friends who are gathered together, but because he believes that John the Baptist is not the last child who's going to make these words come true. That it's not just a song that belongs to that family 2,000 years ago, but it is our song as well. And that if we were going to carry on in this legacy of faith that John starts to live with his life, we would find that we would grow up to be people who, like, like John, are doing everything we possibly can to prepare people so that they can encounter Jesus. That we would be doing whatever it takes to, to inspire people to invite Christ into their hearts and their lives, that we would be doing whatever we could to help people experience the transforming power of saving grace and that the freedom-giving power of total forgiveness for all the things that we've done that we wish we could undo, for all the things we failed to do that we wish we could do, that, that we would be people who help others understand all the ways the deep compassion of God is waiting to, to wash over all of us like like the warm sunlight at, at the break of dawn, right? That, that all of us, like John, would be people who are shining light through our lives. It's like a beacon that helps people find their way again, that helps people find themselves back to their true selves again, and helps them understand who God believes, and maybe God alone believes they can be. I mean, don't you want to grow up to be the kind of person who can offer troubled souls a peace that passes understanding and a peace that will never pass away? Zachariah's son, John, wasn't ever going to. He, he wasn't meant to replace Jesus in the Christmas story. But he was meant to be the one who made sure that People didn't miss Jesus when he showed up in their lives because that's always been a very real risk. That God could break into our world and step into our lives and we'd miss it. John's lifelong song, his anthem, it's, it's supposed to be like this beautiful harmony that's being played alongside of Christ's melody. They complement each other. They, they work together. They partner together in, in doing all the things that you have to do in order to help people understand that the story of Christmas isn't just about Jesus' birth, it's about everyone's birth. And it's hard for us to always grasp that, but I, I think there's this reason that it's, it's this time of year in our world that we start to sing to one another. I mean, I understand that, that when we sing songs of faith, we're always singing those songs to God primarily. But, but as you look at the way songs are written, you find that often the, those songs have the wisdom to understand that when we sing to God, we also have the ability to sing to one another. Truth about ourselves and truth about God and truth about the future of the world. When we sing Christmas songs... We're not just singing to God, we're singing to the other people who have gathered around, whether we're doing that at church or we're doing it at a nursing home or we're doing it in front of somebody's house. And we are singing because it's not just a matter of argument or logic or evidence or, or, or trying to convince somebody of something through the persuasion of, of the way we speak. It's, it's more than that. It's a full-bodied experience of the beauty and the goodness and the majesty of this miracle of Jesus' birth that changes 
every other birth. Jesus' life that changes every other life. A story that all of us can find our place in. The Apostle Paul will later write that all of the promises of God are, are made yes in Christ Jesus. All of the promises of God come true in Christ Jesus. That is the essence of what we're longing for, what we're, what we're longing to experience in the, the realities of our everyday lives, that somehow all the things we're building our lives on, all the things we're hoping in the most, that we want to believe is true about God and we want to believe is true about God at work in us, all of it becomes a reality because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Christmas songs, as, as much as this can be difficult for us to understand, I think it's what Luke is trying to get us to see. Christmas songs are obviously about Christ, but they're not only about Christ. They're about you and me. They're about Jesus. But they're also about us. In Luke chapter 1, we're not just singing about Jesus, we're also singing about John. Because of all the amazing things that God will do through Jesus Christ, all the unique things that God is going to do through Jesus Christ, there are incredibly sacred, unique things he's going to do through John too. And in order for Jesus to reach all the people that God wants for Jesus to reach, he's going to need help. He's going to need help. And we've talked about this before at other times and other studies but I want to reiterate, I want to underline again for you the fact that whatever kind of God you think we have, I, I, I think it's incorrect to say we have a God who has decided not to need us. It's quite the opposite. We have a God who, who has all the power that you could possibly imagine any being ever having. In fact, he has far more power than we can imagine any being ever having, and yet he chooses to need us. He chooses to partner with us. He chooses, well, he chooses to make us like John. And we, like John, we're never going to replace Jesus. We aren't meant to. But we're meant to help people get ready. Right? We're, we're meant to help people not miss the moment when Jesus breaks into their lives and tries to, to reach them, to save them. And, and you already know this, but I, I want to remind you that it's, this moment of time in the year, it's this season every year when Christ draws closer to people in our culture than any other time. I, I should say that differently. It's the time every year when people are more aware of Christ's closeness to them, Christ's nearness to them. And because of this sacred timing, you and I need, like John, we've got to find the courage in our lives to make sure that we wake people up to the fact that it's not just some hunch they have, it's, it's not just some fleeting feeling they might be experiencing, but when they have a longing for a life that's deeper, when they have a longing for a life that, that's filled with truth, beautiful truth about who they're supposed to be and who all the people in their lives are supposed to be because of Jesus, that that's not their imagination. But it's Christ coming once again into their lives and, and knocking. And here's what I find so often when I get to talk to people who haven't yet made a decision about their faith and how much they believe that, that the story of Jesus and his family 
And you know, they're, they're, they're trying to find a place to stay, and nobody has a place to, to keep them. There's so many folks in our world, they just, they like the idea of Jesus, they, they like the concept of Jesus, but they just don't feel like they have space for him in their lives. And brothers and sisters, we need to find a way to gently but lovingly say to them, all you need is a small space to begin with. All you need is a stable in your soul. That's all it takes. And Jesus can save every last bit of your life. All he needs is an opening. So be open. Now, I know it takes courage to talk like that to people, whether you work with them or you walk past them in your neighborhood and you've, you've never really had a meaningful conversation with them. I'm telling you, we have more opportunities at this time of the year than any other time of the year to bring up Jesus and have people who aren't sure what they think about Jesus listen. Now, I don't think it's time for us to launch into some aggressive sales pitch for why they need to, to believe everything exactly the way we do. But I think there's some middle ground between that and never taking the opportunity to talk about why we believe what we believe. Who we really trust and why we want them to experience that same trust in their lives. And it may be as simple as someone mentioning to you how beautiful lights are at this time of the year. Whatever it is, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, Jesus, the way Jesus comes into this world, requires us to help people be awake to it. To see it, to hear it, to experience it. We have a place in the Christmas story. We have a role. We have a mission. And we need to take advantage of this time of the year. We don't need to let it just pass us by. We don't want to reduce it to just a bunch of time with our family where we get to have meals and we have a little bit of time off work. And I know all that's great and it can be a time of renewal and I want all that. I just, I want us to, on top of that, have a sense, a foundational understanding that John is the first of many. He's not supposed to be the last person who helps prepare the way for the Lord. He's the first of many. He's the first of our family. And we're, we're all a part of Jesus' family, but we all have a place. We all have something we've been asked to do and be, and John helps us remember. We don't just want to sing songs about Christmas. We want to find the way into those songs, to live those songs for other people. We, we want to find a way to help people be captivated by this, the, the story that we know is the greatest story ever told and that it's a story that's still unfolding, that we want to help people hear even when it's difficult at times for them to hear. That we want, we want to help people experience that the impossible promises of God are coming true. And they are coming true more and more with every passing day if we only have the eyes to see it. Jesus was and is the living proof that God loves us no matter what. He was and is the living proof that God will go to any distance to reach us no matter how far he has to go. And in the birth of his precious son, God helps us understand that it's not just about Jesus' birth. It's about all of us getting to experience new birth. It's about all of us being made new.
You know, Christmas is the story of the world beginning again, starting over again. And we have got to share that good news with anyone that Christ places in front of us. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their, their spouses will be in this lobby. They're there to, to pray with you. They're there to, to be community for you. So if you came this morning and you have any, any concern at all, or if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to know more about our church, whatever your concerns are, please go to those couples in our lobbyists. Together we stand and sing.